Welcome to the Mea Culpa series of this podcast. In this particular podcast series, I'm going to be interviewing、uh, friends, families, colleagues to、uh, share with you, the audience, the different mistakes that have been done、uh, in their personal lives. And when I mean mistakes, I'm talking about financial mistakes, of course. The goals of these、um, Mea Culpa series is really to give the audience、uh, a sense of what real life、uh, financial mistakes people have been doing. So I'm hoping that you enjoy this series of podcasts、uh, and learn from、um, other people's mistakes, like、uh, we would do in、uh, mortality and morbidity rounds. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. How's my financial health doc podcast? And we have here today a good friend of mine, Dr. Sam Spade.、Uh, Dr. Spade, or I should call you Sam because we're such close friends. Yep.、Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, good morning. I'm Sam Spade. I live in the United States. Been in emergency medicine and academics for about the last twenty-seven years. I'm 64 years old and looking forward to retirement. Okay, very good. And so, when did you plan to retire?、Uh, this year. Oh wow! So, Sam, I mean, I mean, I've been teaching with you for at least five, six years now, and、uh, I don't see you retiring at all. You're still running on full steam.、Um, yeah, I'm going to cut back on patient care, work、okay. more on academic stuff. Yeah, and so.、Uh, The things that I know about Sam is that Sam、uh, also is a、uh, writer. He、uh, published a book, and、uh, I believe last year you did a bicycle tour in Europe. Is that correct?、Uh, actually, no. But I biked across Canada a couple of years ago from Vancouver to St. John's, Newfoundland. Okay, so it was in Europe. I got the wrong country and maybe the wrong、uh, continent too. <laughs> yeah. This gives a great experience. Canada is a wonderful country. You should come and visit more often.、Uh, if you guys would open the border. Yeah, well, we're gonna. Yeah, open... there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think the border will stay closed as long as there's still COVID. I believe. Yeah. So, uh, Sam, uh, tell us a little bit about、uh, one of the topics we talked about was、uh, life insurance prior to this show. So. Um, why don't you、um, let let the audience know what you did、uh, with your life insurance and what you believe、um, you could have done better? So we bought a house that needed quite a bit of work, and instead of going into debt to do that, we had a, a universal life. Is that what you call it? Universal life, where we put in a certain principal and it keeps you covered for the rest of your life, essentially, unless the stock market crashes.、Um, they basically use the dividends from the market to fund your life insurance policy. So you can take out the principal anytime. I sold the life insurance policy, took my principal out and used that for the house repairs. So I wouldn't be in any debt. 
Okay, so let me just uh, backtrack a little bit. So this, I believe, is a universal life insurance, which means you pay a certain amount of money into this uh, policy in the first few years. Right. Uh, and then this money is invested in uh, mutual funds, correct? Correct. Yep. And then this mutual fund is uh, increasing in capital gains and growth. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's enough money to pay the policy uh, until you die. Uh, to be the right. policy yeah. self-sustaining, correct? Yeah, they siphon a little bit off the top of whatever your returns you make in the market, and that's how they fund your life insurance. Okay. Now, you bought this insurance policy in when? About 1986 for $25,000. Okay. Uh, so 1986. Um, and so it had been accumulating for a long, long time, almost uh, 30 years, right? Something um, like that. And so it built up quite a bit of, of cash value in it. Uh, and I believe that uh, your life policy or that universal life policy was self-sustaining, right? So the yearly annual cash flow to pay that life insurance was zero. You didn't have to add more money. Uh, correct. Okay. So it was a life policy that already was self-sustaining and paying for the uh death benefit premium and right. and the and the the investment was still growing year after year yeah not the greatest obviously since we started out at twenty-five thousand and ended up with something like thirty-two thousand. so the return wasn't all that great well the return may not have been great because the investment most likely was put into something that was maybe too conservative and so I'm wondering if at the time you had uh, proper advice from your insurance broker to put you into a fund that took into account the time horizon. So you had at least 30, 35 years to grow your money. And if you uh, were advised of your risk tolerance, but also your risk capacity, being a physician and high income earner, uh, you most likely had a significant capacity that you could have uh, leveraged. I mean, notwithstanding the volatility and fluctuations in the market, um, even in 2000, the market uh, went back up quite uh, rapidly in 2008 and went up quite rapidly. So I don't think it's just a question of the market. It's really a question of whether you had proper advice from your advisor to uh, advise you of, you know, the uh, appropriate uh, investment portfolio for you. And I believe that at the time, you probably could have benefit from a higher risk uh, portfolio with better returns. But I figured my children were both out of college, they had finished their graduate degrees, they're both self sustaining. So they really would not need the infusion of cash right away if I died young. Okay. The life policy was, I believe, paid off. It was self-sustaining. There was some cash value in it. Um, and so you, what you did was you uh, took the cash value out yep. uh, and collapsed the policy. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and the correct. reason, yeah, and the reason was because you were thinking 
I no longer need the life insurance because I myself was self-sustaining. My children were self-sustaining. And three, I needed some money to do some repairs on the home. Sure. The idea of the universal life insurance is to provide you life insurance for life. Um, and so it is a policy that is there. And in your case, it was a policy that was already self-sustaining and you paid nothing every year for that policy. So it was already a policy that you could have kept until you died. Whenever. Um, yeah. The idea of self-sustaining, you know, you, you have enough, uh, you've generated, you're still working and your kids does not need the life policy on, you know, uh, when you die. So you figured, I don't really need this life policy anymore. Is that correct? Correct. So talk to me a little bit about that mindset when you went into it. What, what made you decide that was the right thing to do? So at that point, anyway, um, a line of credit probably would have cost more than we were getting in return from the investments. And I've got a great fear of being in debt, I guess. I like to have everything paid off so I don't have anything to worry about. And so that was certainly one of the major motivators. I mean, we've got our house paid off. The cars are paid off. No, I think you brought up two things. One, you had no more debt, so you like to be debt-free. And two, um, you had a fear of debt. <laughs> Which yeah. is, and I think it's, you know, most uh, healthcare professionals, if not most everybody in the general population, 99%. Uh, 99% of the population have been taught to fear debt. Yeah, so, if only our if only our president would have gotten that message, <laughs> I, he wouldn't I have think, gone bankrupt four times. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, your your current president has used debt all his life, right? Right. Um, and so that's why he's the one percent of the population. And so uh, let's just come back to uh, the idea of um, being debt free. So um, obviously, in the population. Uh, we're, you know, we're brought up to fear debt, to have no debt. But in mm -hmm. fact, there's such a thing as good debt and bad debt. Sure. Debt in itself is not a bad thing. It's mm -hmm. the bad debt that's a bad thing. The thing that I commonly hear people say is you shouldn't have debt, but you could use debt. The idea is not to have debt, but to use debt. Now, in your scenario, you know, for the repair of the house and the driveway and, sure. and all that, how much how much do you think you need it? Probably about twenty. I think it ended up being about twenty five thousand that we needed to replace a car. So that was another forty fifty. Okay, so in total, how much do you think you need it? Um, probably about seventy thousand. Uh, but your policy only had 32 cash value. Right, had about 32 cash value. Uh, so where did you come up with the balance? Um, savings. That means that you had to dip into your savings, uh, whatever it was, a, a bond fund, a mutual fund, a stock, whatever that was, correct? Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. What we did, we sold a house that we had in New York. Okay. At the same time. Oh, so you sold the house, the money generated from that. Right. Uh, was the money that you spent on um, this re particular renovation? Yeah, both the money from the 
insurance policy as well as the money from selling the house. And we invested the rest of the money from the house. Yeah. Let's uh, come back to the idea of uh, taking the money out of the policy. Sure. Um, so when you do that, when you take the, the cash value outside of the policy, what you do is you actually collapse the policy and you, you uh, nullify the entire policy, which right. also means you lost the, um, the death benefit, which I believe, did, did you mention how much the death benefit was? I believe it was about a million dollars. Okay, so a million dollars in death benefit. Right. And so there are a few ways to quote unquote take money out of the cash value. You could do it the way you did, which me, which was surrender the, the cash value. You took it out <laughs> entirely. You could have borrowed from the insurance company itself. Uh, and you went to them and say, I need uh, 20,000 out of that 32, or I need 25,000 out of that 32. They would have uh, the next day within 24 hours, give you whatever that amount was, as long mm -hmm. as it was less than 90% of the amount of the cash value. Mm -hmm. And then the insurance company would charge you a interest rate, typically because you're borrowing from the same carrier that also carries your life policy. Mm -hmm. The interest rate is lower than that of the bank. Sure. And so, so it you sounds could, like that would have been a yeah, good idea. Yeah. So you could have uh, uh, taken that money out as a loan, not as a surrender, but as a loan. Sure. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was that that 32,000 would have continued to grow mm -hmm. while you still have that 20, 25,000 as a loan. Sure. And then uh, you pay off that loan uh, in a scheduled manner or as a lump sum as you have it. Because you are debt free, or at least at that time you were debt free, and I believe you're still debt free. Yeah. A debt of twenty or twenty-five thousand would that make material change to your lifestyle? Uh, no, no. So having a debt of twenty to twenty-five thousand would not have changed your lifestyle at all, and so that would have been a small amount of debt that you could have very mm -hmm. easily covered. Sure. The fear of being debt actually is a great uh, cognitive bias, right? <laughs> that colors our yeah. decision. And so that's a second way. The second way would be to loan, take a loan. The third way would be, well, I'm going to take that policy and go to one of the major banks in the US. I don't know where you are, what, what is the major bank. You could have gone to the bank manager and say, I have a, a life insurance policy worth a million plus a 32,000 mm -hmm. in cash value. So a total of uh, a million and 32,000, right? Mm -hmm. I would like to take a line of credit out of that 32. And again, the bank will give you up to 90% of that cash value. Sure. So you could have had, you know, 30,000 as a line of credit. And because it's a line of credit and it's a collateral to the bank, your 32,000 still sits in the policy growing. Sure your net worth is now still 1 million and 32,000. Mm. And you could still get a line of credit. Sure. The line of credit that you got, because it is not a income, it's a line of credit. It cannot mm -hmm. be taxed. Huh? Didn't know that. There right. You go. The money that you took out of the insurance that was taxed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the house that you sold in New York, and I don't really know the the tax laws in in the U.S., but did you have to pay tax on capital gains? At that point, no. This was our primary residence. Okay. So you're allowed to sell one. I think they've changed the law since then. Okay. So uh, luckily, at that time, you didn't get taxed, but now potentially you may. Right. If you sold the house and you had capital gains, you will have to pay tax on that capital gain. So doing it your way, you're exposed to two types of taxes on income. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you took it out as a line of credit from the bank, there is no tax consequence. I should have consulted you back then. Right. Uh, maybe I wasn't born back in 1980 something. Yeah, I don't know. That's not true. I was born. I was born. Coming back to this uh, idea of collateralizing to the bank and taking it as a line of credit, the three benefits is one: it's a, because if it's a line of credit, you don't get you don't get taxed on that thirty thousand mm-hmm. that you take. Mm-hmm. Two, you do not deplete your your cash value, so your cash value is still sitting right, in right. the policy and still growing. And three, you still have a one million dollar death benefit. Sure. Three advantages of doing it that way, as opposed to surrender the policy. Sure. So what would you recommend for people that are having to pay a premium every month? That would have been in my situation, for example. Well, I'm not sure. In your case, you know, your policy was paid up. Uh, You had zero dollars of outflow. And Mm -hmm. so your policy was self-sustaining and you didn't have to pay anything into it. In your case, it was an annual premium of zero, right? Right, right. But let's assume let's assume that the, the market did crash and now you have to uh, pay back into it because mm-hmm. there's not enough uh, there's not enough money t- to cover the uh, life to insurance premium it. yeah to sustain it so, so the question is you now have to balance between what's outflowing and what's the benefit so the benefit mm-hmm. is that you got a one million dollar policy plus a plus a cash value of uh, thirty two thousand right. Plus the fact that your 32,000 is still continuing to grow. So what's the downside? Well, the downside is now all of a sudden I need to put more money into it uh, to sustain the policy. The question is, how much is that? So I'm just going to give you a few mm-hmm. hypothetical numbers and you tell me if, if it's worth it or not. You know, Sam, for you to continue this policy every year, you have to pay another $1,000. Would you would yeah. you have continued? I mean, with my calculus of not having anybody dependent on those life insurance benefits, I probably would have said no. Maybe I'll leave this question for later. I'll come back to it. So I want to come back to the idea of self-sustaining because you mentioned you were self-sustaining, you have enough assets and your kids do not rely on you. The life expectancy for males is up to almost 84 years old, 87 years old. Mm-hmm. So between your age, 64, until 84, let's say, there's another 20 years. Right. And so in those 20 years, do you believe that your health will still be the same as you are now? Uh, no. So if you don't believe that, then you are anticipating that your health will decline and that you may at some point re- will require medical treatment, uh, medications. Sure, sure. Um, in-home health care, you know, all type of right. expenses, medical expenses that you need to cover. And I'm assuming that you're going to cover that by selling a bunch of your investments or even reverse mortgaging your house, whatever that may be. So I actually have long-term health care insurance. Okay, which is good. That should hopefully cover at least most of that. Um, the long-term care insurance covers for care that needs to be 
given if you need assistance in uh, any two of the five ADLs if you were not right. able to do. Uh, but it doesn't cover medication. Right. And it doesn't cover hospitalization. Right. The long-term care insurance cover only part of that need. Right. Yep. And so if you have a need that is not covered by that long-term care insurance, where will your money come from? Um, well, I mean, I've got pretty good health insurance through the university that'll cover even after I retire. Okay, good. Um, so acute hospitalization, medications, that sort of thing are pretty well covered. Good, good. good. Um, anything else, obviously, I would need to take out of my private funds. Okay. And again, I, I hope nothing happens, but just life will throw us curveballs. You and I know that we're right. both emerge docs, right? So let's assume that there is a condition that will one will not fulfill the long-term care insurance, or two mm -hmm. will uh, use up your health insurance provided by the university. But there may be some other costs and expenses that are not covered by that. At which point sure. you will have to dip into your private funds. Yeah. So, I mean, I already have to dip into my private funds because I have to pay part of the premiums for the health insurance. Okay. And then when I turn 65, I'll have Medicaid or Medicare yeah. premiums to pay for. Okay. And so you are already dipping into your private funds, as you say. Right. So over time, assuming you live until 84, that's life expectancy, mm -hmm. but you don't live in good health. You live in relatively poor health. Sure. Um, you will have to continue dipping into your private funds. Right. Which means by the time, at the time of death, your net worth will not be as high as what it is now at the age of 64. Right. I so, mean, I've got it calculated out um, actuarially that my principal should always be maintained. But that's under the best circumstances, obviously. If we are not in those best circumstances, have you calculated a worst case scenario? Sitting on the street with a pencil holder trying to... <laughs> no, you will not be there. But worst case scenario in your circumstance will not be begging on the streets for sure. But in terms of depleting your net worth, have you calculated a worst case scenario? I actually have not. So the financial advisor I work with runs... Um, scenarios. They run something like a thousand or two thousand different scenarios to come out with the probability that I'll be able to meet my goals. If in the worst case scenario, I don't know what the number is and I don't know what the math is, but you can foresee that you will have to dip into your private funds and you yeah. will slowly deplete your net worth. Right. And your net asset. I'm sure that's certainly a possibility. Right. So if you had that extra million dollar in death benefit, would that be of help to your kids and grandchildren? Um, I'm sure it'll be help to them, yeah. If that's the answer, then it would have been ideal to keep that $1 million policy. Yeah, you're right. Right now, what you've done is you've exchanged 32000 for a $1 million policy down the road. Mm -hmm. And so to come back to the question, if you had to pay $1,000 a year to keep that $1 million life policy, knowing that those are potential and probable, would you still exchange $1,000 a year 
for a $1 million life policy death benefit? Well, had I thought I could borrow against the, the policy, I probably would have done that. Yes. Now that you know, if you had to make that choice all, all over again, coming back to the question of paying yeah. the premium for life policy, would you exchange pay and pay $1,000 a year for a payout of a million? So let's now say, would you pay $5,000 a year for a payout of a million dollars death benefit? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, a lot of it depends on obviously the financial situation of my wife, the financial situation of my kids, mm-hmm. um, the fact that they're out of school, that there's no school debt, that sort of thing. Right. But so let me ask this about the $5,000. Had you have to pay $5,000 every year, would that materially change your lifestyle? Uh, No. No. So if you had to pay $5,000, which does not materially change your current lifestyle for a payout of a million dollars, would you still do it? I mean, I've got these psychological blocks. I mean, as you know, I teach metacognition and we all have these psychological blocks. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's, so, let's, so, so I guess I should rephrase it. Should I? Yes. Okay. Would I have? I don't know. Right. We don't know. That's psychological makeup. Correct. So if now I'm going to increase that payment to $25,000 a year for a $1 million policy, would you? Uh, no. No. Clearly, it really depends on the math, right? Right. Exactly. The question is, when you made that decision, to take out the 32,000 and surrender your policy. Mm-hmm. Did you do that math? No, I was thinking more about being in debt or not being in debt. It is very interesting because you and I both teach metacognition and how it affects us in uh, medical decision-making. But the same cognitive bias exists when we make financial decisions or in fact, any decisions in life. And so we need, really need to be careful uh, in analyzing all aspects because the mind definitely plays tricks on us. You know, until we put pen to paper and do that math, we actually will not know uh, the impact of that decision. Right. And, and unfortunately, and you're not alone, we all do this. We have these cognitive biases and these cognitive blinds on that mm-hmm. make us decide one way or another, depending on one, our culture, our religion, our philosophy in life and our cognitive Uh biases. The reality is that we make these financial decisions based on a lot of maladaptive behavior. Right. But if we actually did the math, it would be a much more clean, objective decision. Right. The fact that you made that decision because you, you like to be debt free and you have a fear of debt. Well, that obviously was the primary driver of your decision. When you were at that point uh, making that decision, did you have help from either your financial advisor or your insurance broker? Um, the insurance broker was kind of out of the picture because he was in New York and we were in Iowa. So I don't think I don't think I consulted my financial advisor. These are very crucial um, decisions, uh, and sometimes we make them without uh, seeking proper advice. Right. Thank you.
you you like the fact that you're debt free, uh, you you're self sustaining, you you have no more need for life insurance. That was the term. I I know have I don't、mm-hmm. have a need. Sure.、Um, and so that's one way of looking at it.、Mm-hmm. The other way of looking at it is, if I have that life insurance and I have that cash value, that actually provides me living benefits. A living benefit for me is still a need, because sure, sure. between the age of sixty-four till the age of eighty-four, I still need to pay my taxes, my internet bills, on which we're taking on right now because we're on Zoom. I have to、sure. pay for television. I have to pay for gas. I have to pay for car. I have to pay right. So there's a lot of financial commitments that we still have during our right, lifetime, right. and so this during this lifetime, I still need cash flow. Right, and potentially need、uh, cash cash injection.、Mm-hmm. Now, in certain circumstance, I need to either deplete my investment or take from my investment to fulfill those financial commitments. Right. Yep. And so, is there a better way to do that? And the answer is yes. Right.、Mm-hmm. I can. I can. Get a line of credit for which I don't have to pay taxes on because it's not an income.、Mm-hmm. So I could use a cash value sitting inside that life policy.、Mm. So had I still have that life policy, I could essentially pay for my financial commitments without depleting my overall investment and net worth. Right. So if I look at it from that perspective, I still need that life insurance policy. Now, if I look at it from a different perspective and just putting another lens on, well, I myself don't need that, but I now have children and I now have grandchildren,、right. hmm. uh, and my children are self-sustaining, and my grandchildren hopefully will be self-sustaining. But I don't know my children. Are they in a job where they have a good pension, or will my children ever become ill? Or will my children ever become disabled?、Mm-hmm. Or given the economy, will they ever lose their job? Right. And my grandchildren, will they have a good job as I do?、Mm-hmm. Will they find a career that is as stable as I had? Can they become ill? Can they become disabled? And all those are unknowns,、mm-hmm. and they're future unknowns. Right. I know you have assets to leave to your children and to leave to your grandchildren.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, question, first question is: If you have, let's say, an inheritance, an asset of, you know, five million dollars to leave to them, well, would、sure. you rather leave them five million, or would you rather leave them six million and thirty-two thousand? Six million and thirty-two thousand. Right. So, if I looked at it from that lens, it's better to keep the policy. Right. I'm gonna look at it from a different lens and say, all the assets that I'm gonna leave my children and my grandchildren, some of those have tax consequences, and some of these have capital gains tax.、Mm-hmm. But if I left them a million dollar policy with a cash value of thirty two thousand, assuming it never grows anymore, I st- I'm gonna leave them one million thirty two thousand tax free. Sure. Now you have you are potentially leaving. Your children and your grandchildren, a one million thirty-two thousand policy that is tax-free, 
for whatever eventuality that may happen in the future. And you and I cannot predict that. Right. And you and I know doing the work that we do in emergency medicine that life will throw us curveballs. Yeah. And so if I'm looking at that perspective, I would rather leave them 6 million. And one of that is tax-free than leaving mm -hmm. them 5 million. So if I'm looking at it from that perspective, for me, that's still a need. Yeah. Not a want. I would say it's great to be self-sustaining, but I also want to be uh, mindful of whatever happens in the future. Right. Yeah. So probably I should have consulted my financial planner back then. I'm sure they would have had some good ideas. What is the most efficient, tax efficient way of taking out money from that 32,000 cash sure. value? but also doing it in a way that you're not collapsing a policy. Thank you for sharing that uh, with us today, Sam. Yeah, I just uh, hope and pray for everybody that the COVID-19 vaccine is successful and everybody gets back to their normal lives. Great, great. I think we're all hoping for that. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.